1: Wednesday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Boltwood, the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Welcome back. That's when you say something. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Kristen Henrich. Good evening. Stepping in for Dave this week, who's uh, away skiing in the Alps, having the time of his life right now. Probably just as well, seeing as how bad things are going at Old Trafford. We wouldn't want him to uh, have a meltdown here on the podcast. Uh, we are going to be Definitely talking. Definitely
2: not have a meltdown if you're skiing.
3: I wonder what his slow completion rate is
2: exactly
1: uh, we will be talking about how Everton transfer news We've also got our talking point tonight which is all about Pep Guardiola with journalist Kit Holden joining us make sure you subscribe to Front 3 on iTunes if you're feeling particularly nice go and give us a, a little review maybe rate the podcast as well all you have to do is search the Front 3 on your podcast app and click on write a review it is that easy
2: don't forget can I just say
1: hmm. give it five
2: stars If you're that way inclined, that would be very nice. Give it four,
1: that's more believable. All right, Kristen, steady on, mate. Uh, (laughs) The uh, the, uh, nice reviews this week, we had one from Zarkoon. He said, been listening to the podcast since episode one. Loved every single episode. Lawrence, you're brilliant. Dave, you're hilarious. And Adam, you sew it all together. Very nice there. Also, Cameron Falcus saying, enjoyed the piece on iBar last week, which I was uh, very happy to hear about. Thank you, Cameron. But comment of the week has to go to jjd one six eight one eight one six. Left us the review saying that he'd have the front free theme song playing at his wedding with Dave as his best man, giving me stats.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah, on the first date he
1: completed <laughs> exactly ten ons
3: all sorts of. your you know... wife shagged fourteen blocks
1: in ten years. <laughs> I mean, he said it, not me. I think we should move on swiftly from that. And uh, that's the worst in into... the top five
3: leagues in Europe.
1: <laughs> we should move straight into uh, Liverpool, Lawrence. Liverpool are through to the League One Cup final after a beating Stoke on penalties, of course. Yeah. I don't know
2: say this, but can I hear more from Kristen?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, we'll come on yeah. to
2: Kristen. There'll be plenty yeah. of Kristen in this she podcast. You bloody don't want, you, you dirty <laughs>
1: guess. Don't you worry. Oh, God. <laughs> oh,
2: apologies, um, Dad. Um, Lawrence, deserved? Uh, over the two legs. I think Liverpool played uh, some good football. I think that tactically, they probably played it the way they wanted to. No one um, sort of plans to go one 0 down to an offside goal, um, and then obviously uh, th- there was a lot of defending for Liverpool to do um, against uh, against. Uh, actually, uh, I was surprised how deep Stoke's team went tonight. You know, they they were bringing on some impressive subs as the game went on, and so I was kind of I was sitting there like, right, who are Liverpool going to bring on? Did you not Bright, think? Uh, did,
1: did, did you not think Stoke performed well? I thought they played reasonably well. They looked more dangerous going forward I, than Liverpool did.
2: Yeah, although I think that was the plan that Liverpool did want to draw Stoke onto them, and then their counter attack was not so effective. Uh, Benteke came on. I thought Benteke, uh tried to hold the ball up again a little bit higher up. You could see he was trying to get even further up the pitch. So at least there's some sort of progression there, but it wasn't a classic uh, semi-final. It was not penalties I are fun stretch though. Stretch the imagination. Penalties are fun. It was a nice good to penalty shootout. Save uh, it. Yeah, you know, one penalty shootout does not make a goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> but he Jamie has Carrigan had a few good penalty say. shootouts now for Liverpool, um, and obviously people at the other end thinking that Jack Butland, just because he's had a good night and mm. because he is apparently a penalty specialist, mm. would, um, would 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 uh, bring Stoke through in this one. Also, good to see John Flanningham back um, and Alberto Moreno being absolutely torn to shreds. Yeah, good good use of that phrase by a Jurgen Klopp. I don't know if it was for being too high at the pitch or. It's definitely interesting.
1: I think he may have been neglecting his uh, defensive duties somewhat, yeah, uh, as I he think tends he to
2: level that criticism at him over the full ninety minutes. Of course, uh,
1: Joe Allen scoring the the winning penalty in the end. Twitter exploding into Perlo and uh, well shavi memes uh, within seconds. But it's um, trending. It is. It is. It's actually trending now. Excellent. Yeah. Um, but obviously, tomorrow night. Well, I should say tonight is the big game. Uh, Manchester City v Everton who would you rather be facing? Obviously the local rivals or potentially a team who, uh, who you'd expect to be the favourites if they did get through to the final
2: in Manchester City? Yeah, I think Liverpool would much rather face Everton. Um, Not only because of the style, uh, but also because it would just be a Scouse derby. And that's a, a much bigger event than a, a playing against Man City. So Liverpool want Everton in the final. Obviously, you want to see your City rivals do well. You want to see mm-hmm. Liverpool as a City do well. And obviously with uh, you know, all the stuff that's going on with Roberto Martinez, Ed. I don't know if we're going to talk about that at some point tonight. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot going on at Everton at the moment. A lot of question marks over him, so it'd be good to see him. of question marks. Christian, uh, so awesome. any
1: thoughts on Liverpool's momentous victory before we move on?
3: I thought they were quite slow in attack mm. again tonight. Th- I think there's potentially an interesting parallel between a lack of confidence and a lack of movement in teams when they get to the final third. And I think that really bears itself out with Liverpool at the minute.
2: Who do you think doesn't look confident? Do you think Milner? I mean, I, I, think, I think Lallana was the main impetus, but then he just seemed to take the ball. You know, energy doesn't make an attack, does it? You have to have intelligence, mm. almost have velocity ahead of just speed.
3: I think a lot of them look bereft of confidence. Ben Teke is a good example. I don't think he carries himself in the same way that he did last season with Villa. Uh, For me, mm. you know, in, in patches, I think his kind of flicks between both ends of, of the pole, I think, as he's, as he's trying to kind of adjust. It's it's just a difficult watch sometimes with Liverpool at the minute in attack and it's very it's ecstatic, not something aren't that I they? See. Yeah, that's the problem. Is 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 everybody refuses to move, and I think there comes a point points, <laughs> especially where,
2: Benteke. I think people, I, some people, are confused to move, and so they just end up not. That's the thing. Almost I, I freeze. It, be, it comes to a point where you
3: stop saying hmm. that it's it's just understanding, it's it's clearly something a little bit more deeper rooted
1: than that. To be fair to Benteke, lovely penalty, lovely little stuttered run up. Bosh in the corner.
3: I thought they were against the rules. I could have saw something. So you're, you're, not allowed allowed to you're not allowed
1: to completely stop. You're allowed to, as long as you keep moving forward, if you stutter but keep moving, then it's fine. No worries. Oof. Right then, let's move on to Louis van Gaal, Kristen. Um, keen to get your thoughts on the Dutchman, seeing as we talk about it every week and uh, we yeah. obviously have usually a very upset Dave Talking to us about him. Uh-huh. Another disappointing just, result. Just free associating about football yeah. most of the time. <laughs> another disappointing We need to sign people, but then we also need youth, but then we need to sign people. Oh, he's, he's always furious. Um, we need youthful experience. <laughs> but obviously, uh, another disappointing result of the weekend. Another, was it one shot on target, I think? Reports after the guys. game. Reports after the game that he'd offered to resign. Um, this is apparently the third time he's offered to resign. I think this came from Jamie Jackson in The Guardian. The club have come out yesterday and said, you know, none of that is true.
3: But either way, Kristen, to me, it feels like he's a dead man walking. I think till the end of the season, pretty much. He knows his fate and when it's going to happen. It just doesn't fit anymore. That's the difficulty. Is You can lament his tactics, you can lament his style all you like. I think you have to accept that, simply put, it's not a good match. The style of play for the Premier League, I think personally the Premier in so League is many ways. quite rudimentary in mm. terms of its tactics and, and how teams actually set up. I don't think you need as much structure as he is trying to apply to the team. And consequently, they're sat, you know, kind of passing it around and trying to be intricate when I don't necessarily think they need to. I think they could be a lot more bullish with the ball and use players like Memphis who are incredibly direct and aren't the most subtle of attackers. And yet I think he, he's almost unwilling to, to kind of see... The Premier League for what it is and and that is his stubbornness coming through and it's something that's been through throughout his career and as they say, sometimes your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness and we're watching that unfold with with Man United on a weekly basis now
1: Do you really think he's got until the end of the season? I feel like as soon as similar to Moyes, as soon as the UCL is mathematically out of reach, he's going to be gone which of course is too late by that point
3: Possibly, I think there is a, a strong case to be made, as you said there, that he could fall foul of the David Moyes situation whereby the second they miss out on that, he goes as well. It's just who you replace him with, realistically. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're sounding out replacements now if they're trying to to build that contingency well, plan now.
1: Mourinho's writing his uh, his letters, right? He's, he's given his pitch, he's or not. so it's reported. Right. Yeah. So it's reported on the weekend, uh, of he's course. Not. Well, you know, there was uh, the the. You know the thought that he's done this before with certain clubs. It was said that he did it with England. Um, he's done it with Barcelona, reportedly. I, he's given, I, I, not, I respect, not necessarily I, a letter. He's not necessarily respect, written a letter. Well, yeah,
2: I respect Miguel Delaney as a journalist. I think he's a really fantastic. And I'm sure that there is a source that he has that says he wrote something. I hmm. just don't know. I don't know if I, I sort of buy that Mourinho would need to do that, considering that he has... First of all, why would he, why would he bypass his agent... Who would also just definitely never say to him, "It's probably best we like write a (laughs) six-page letter
1: here, front um, and back." Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, what everyone says is that he's so desperate for this job. You know, you hear the stories about how he he cried when he was passed over for the job when Sir Alex Ferguson uh, retired.
3: you're you're trying to change your image—that's a really good way to do it. To be humble (laughs) enough to write a letter to a club explaining why you think you would be for it. (laughs) Instead of... I mean, look at the way it's normally handled. As Lawrence touched on there, you go through an agent, you meet in a hotel, it's all very business-like. If you go for that more emotive approach and you write them a letter and be very kind of humble about it, for someone in Mourinho's position, I would argue from a PR standpoint, that's probably the best way to do it.
1: Well, I think he is in... Lawrence. you're sort of saying he's not in a position where he has to do that. You know, look at everything he's won, look at his stats in the game. I'd argue he is in a position where he has to do that because of what's happened at Chelsea this season. That's obviously a big dent on his reputation. And of course, because of the, the, the thought that his his style, that his, the way he conducts himself is not in line with Manchester United. So he needs to sell himself to Edward. Ed
2: yeah. But I think also people kind of, um, I don't know that they, they, it's almost like people like to see them, that they, they like to see themselves as the exception to the rule. And I believe United like to see themselves as the exception to the rule. Um, when it comes to managers, all these sorts of things, Um, you know, the way they describe themselves, you know, the way they market themselves, just everything. Um, And so you'd imagine they don't see themselves above that, but they don't want to get dragged into the mire with everyone else because it would almost reveal Partly that Manchester United is the same as everyone else underneath. And that's part of the problem, I think, for Manchester United. is is The past few years have just been a slow realisation that they are just a football club. Mm. Look Um, at
3: the way they view themselves, though. Look at the way that we saw Adam talking the other day on the Football Republic about Dave Sexton, how he was sacked despite having 11 wins on the trot, and the idea that they don't care if they just win anymore, they want to win beautifully. Mourinho's not in that mould he's all about winning period he doesn't really care about any footnotes you add to those victories
2: but he can, so, but the, the point would be that um, he also he can win but, but it's not like he's never had a not so pretty side He never played the most beautiful football but it's not like he's never um, not had a pretty side you know they have played you know Robin was a very beautiful Duff is a beautiful footballer Drogba was considered beautiful in certain ways so I think Mourinho you know he does paint broader brush strokes than just you know oh defence oh attack the
3: the difficulty is though is is when you have his mentality if you don't get the results it's it's almost like Tony Pulis in that sense if you don't get the results people really start to turn on you quickly because Mm. they look at it as hang on we brought you in to win and if you're not winning, what else are you doing for us? Well, Chris... Because if... he's, he's not always building a legacy. He's not someone that's brought through young players either, mm. as much as I kind of have... Found... In fact, if I remember right, he sanctioned the sale of Davide Santana Inter,
1: mm. who's
3: now gone back there. It
1: does, it does seem to be a bit of a mismatch, doesn't it, between the club and the potential manager.
3: Massively. I the, think it's it, 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 a you... legacy. That's why he wants this club.
1: Well, let me, Chris, if you're Edward Wood, right, what do you do right now? Do you sack Louis van Gaal? In the words of Andy, take Giggsy to the end of the season. Do you bring in Mourinho? Do you stick with Van Hal? If you were Edward Wood, what would you do right now? I think stick with. I, I'd quit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I fucked up here. All right, that's what love I'm love <laughs> That's what you'd do. Um, right? so you'd fall on take your sword. A big sip of whiskey. <laughs> yes. um, I, I think <laughs> what I would do is I would get rid of Van Hal and put Giggs in to send a subtle message that what has been witnessed is not acceptable. First and foremost.
2: Very subtle. <laughs> Very subtle. As subtle as like
3: you him. can be,
1: realistically. And would you without sort coming of... Out yeah, and saying, there's suggestions that he should be surrounded with certain people who can and help him until the end of the season. Sir I Alex Ferguson? Guess, yeah. was I was going be...
3: ask Sir Alex Ferguson not to have an official role, mm. but Maybe certainly do. oversee things with him. Just to give him a little bit of extra help. Just to give him a little bit of experience that you necessarily can't buy at the moment. And then I would make the Biggest possible play for Pep Guardiola, assuming that he's not already joined Manchester City, because he'll give them everything they want. He'll give them the kind of mentality they thought they were getting with Van Hall, guaranteed results, a genuine style of play that can be deemed as their own, or the Manchester United way. I think
1: we, we, we've obviously got a chat with Kit Holden coming up later, journalist Kit Holden about Pep Guardiola, but I think Pep Guardiola would be mad to go to United over City. United are such a poorly run club at the moment. City have everything in place for sustained success for, for years, if not
3: decades now. I think it would be perception. mad to go
1: to United, that, that's uh, the, the thing, way it
3: stands. The, the thing is with this, it's all about perception, because let's say I'm on the red half of Manchester. Manchester United have arguably more history They've got a a greater standing in in terms of perception in the game. Mm. But Manchester City have got much better infrastructure right now as it stands. Mm. They've got more kind of money. They've got a better academy structure. Um, You could argue they're doing a little bit better in terms of transitioning those players from Mm. one to the other. Um, And Manchester United at at present, as I'm sure Dave's probably touched on to a much greater uh, knowledge base... Haven't been doing that. They've actually been struggling. They've just shipped out, I think, Gribben, Callum Gribben, who I kept hearing loads of great things about mm. to Preston North End, and they're doing that consistently. Tom Thorpe was another one, was captain of the reserves, heralded as a, a really big star, then ends up at, at Rotherham after being released.
1: And we're talking about Manchester United underperforming, of course. Another team underperforming, Lawrence, Everton, uh, beaten by Swansea at the weekend. They've only actually won one the last 10 games in the Premier League, Roberto Martinez is now coming under a lot of pressure, particularly for the way he plays. And there's a suggestion that it's either naivety or arrogance that he refuses to perhaps play with a more defensive
2: mindset. I mean, what do you make of that? Again, I, I don't uh, get the personification of journalists' words very often. Uh, and People sort of making a ju- public image out of... A lot of these things. I'm not quite sure what people believe about uh, Martinez. I do think Everton fans are very intelligent footballing fans. I think a lot of people are making judgments from outside the club who don't watch an awful lot of Everton and don't quite know what Everton fans want. So I'd be careful um, to make broad conclusions about where the club are going. I think for a while Everton have been a team that have been in purgatory. Um, Not that they're dead, but they've been uh, stuck between the old Premier League, which is, you know, the early years where they they still had the owners and people beginning to make money, but looking at selling. And they've never been able to sell until this point. And I think now they're looking for someone to sell to. And I think then they will start to make their Mm. uh, decisions. And I think then that's what they're holding out for, essentially. Mm. Ooh, cool. um, and for that, and I think they found a lot of buyers, but I think that you know they've, they've been very, very careful and rightly so. Um, I, and I think they're, I think they're right to stick with Martinez for now because, again, if you get rid of Martinez, who are you going for? I'm not Drunken suggesting kids. they're going to
1: get rid of Martinez. I don't
2: think they will. But I mean, Kristen, Well, they, they don't that? have a great record. It's true. But I mean, him at the moment, Kristen, but, they, w- but they are playing more beautiful football. And they, you know, they they, 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 they are getting. <laughs> Some good, they are getting some good football out of some mm. players. There.
1: Conceding a lot of goals there, Kristen.
3: Mm, that, essentially, for me, what you're seeing being played out is a very similar situation to the one he found himself in at Wigan, where a lot of people they don't have a racist
2: player. owner. And in <laughs> many ways, I think legally, <laughs> they didn't that's, have a racist owner at Wigan either. <laughs> that,
3: that's how I dropped the scoop
2: <laughs> that, they wrote, that Everton's owner is a
3: massive racist. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Bill Kenwright is not, by the way. He's one of the nicest men in football. Um, he's one of the nicest, race, one of the nicest men in football. You are right, um, provided you fit a few criteria. Um,
2: <laughs> not true again. Again, he is not true. One tall of the joke. Guys,
3: he, is, he is a really nice guy. I know a few people who've had dinner league. with him and such. Um, but what I mean by that is, Were they playing. White? I, just want to check. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, okay. Had they been on holiday? No, can't remember. Um, he, they play very beautiful football in terms of the technical ability and the the possession it doesn't achieve a great deal, it achieves enough to keep them in the league now the difference was that at Wigan the budgets were significantly smaller and if anything they were seen as punching above their weight consistently largely because they had to sell players I'm not surprised if Ken Wright maybe saw a benefit to hiring Martinez in that sense because he thought you know what, we're in a similar financial position where we need to sell to keep ourselves above the water so having someone who can adapt like that is brilliant the problem you have is is that actually in the end Wigan went down and you're seeing a lot of the the same tropes play out because the, they're conceding too many I think they're mm-hmm. a little bit over elaborate in play sometimes I, I certainly think maybe John Stones typifies that with the, the needless <laughs> the play fans again on
1: his back now aren't they every time he sort of does a curve turn or, or brings the ball out and maybe takes one too many touches Yeah, I I
3: think I admire his eagerness to be a ball-playing defender. England need more of them, undeniably. There comes a point where that confidence becomes complacency, though. Do you think that's
1: Do you think that's symptomatic of Martinez though? Because he's famously a man who once said, you know, he he doesn't believe in you know systems and keeping clean sheets and not taking risks. He is very all or nothing with regards to the way he wants to play football. But do not. But do not think he needs to be more pragmatic.
3: So so look at Mark Warburton. I remember having a chat with um one of the Brentford fan blogs. What what is it is he besotted something? Lawrence, you'll know this. You've you've oh, yeah, it. As besotted, well. yeah. besotted, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and he told me a really cool anecdote about Warburton that he will never settle for a draw because he sees it as, as better to risk the potential loss and pick up a win than just settle for a draw. So if it gets to like the last ten minutes, he'll throw on a striker instead of a defender. And I think it's it's a similar mentality to Martinez, but it's the way it manifests in the sense that I imagine Warburton has a similar way of thinking, but his comes to the fore in a much more positive way for the team. I'm not sure if it does for Martinez. I think sometimes he gets a little bit too mired in, while he doesn't say the style, the style he wants the team to play, even if it's not recognised, if that makes sense. But
1: you look at those results, like I mentioned earlier, one win in 10 is awful form. and That came against Newcastle. That one mm-hmm. win, I mean, Lawrence,
3: you seem Which is fortunate as, as well. I think <laughs> they've only had three wins since, since September, and they've all come against teams, uh, the teams in the bottom three. Exactly. I mean, Lawrence, do you not agree that maybe,
1: although Roberto Martinez the way he wants to play the game is admirable, that there are times when you do need to show pragmatism and try and shut out a game? I mean, against Chelsea uh, a few weeks ago, the three-all draw, Everton go three-two up, m- minutes left to play, they refused to say do you know, what you'd say, a smart tactic, keeping the ball, trying to run down the clock. They refuse to do that. They almost looked like they were trying to go for another goal.
2: Yeah. And then they end up lo- dropping two points. Uh, yeah, I Look, I, I see where you're coming from. I just, I again, I'm probably just taking another view because it makes more interesting conversation. It's true. I see it's where true. Martinez is coming from. Uh, I see the all-or-nothing nature of it. And I think, you know, it's all well and good people paying lip service to that. They talk about other managers being, you know, having their philosophy and those kind of things. Credit to him for sticking with that. And, I, you know, we talk about pragmatism and all those kind of things and how. And I be very interested to think about the idea of, you know, the mixture of theory and practice and how mm. actually being a football manager is, you know, the apex of that. Because you have to be practical, but also have your ideas and express those to the players really well. I think over time, if he was to stay, they probably would get that. Mm. Uh, but... You know, you, it, it all, there is almost a sense of inertia around the club because, uh, you know, they almost go, well, you know, what more are we going to do under this manager? But the problem is, I think there's so many, It's uh, put it this way, it's almost meta, I don't know how to describe it, and Kristen, mm-hmm. maybe you have the same. We spend so much time navel-gazing and analysing, and to some extent, I think that the an- an- analyst analysis and influence of the crowds, influence of all the people who go and watch the game... And influence everything from outside the club sometimes crushes inwards and influences negatively the project that's going on there. And to some extent, I think that that is part of the problem that modern day managers face. And I think Martinez very much faces that, is that um, there's so many people who aren't actually involved in football. I'm not actually involved in football. I just happen to be interested in it and have a job where I talk about it and you know make videos about it and try and analyze it in an almost faux intellectual way um and uh, it's the same with a lot of people i know there are a lot of people out there that have studied it but those people aren't doing it essentially and i think a lot of that can crush in and that happens on fan cams that happens on uh, articles that happens in videos that happens in espn it happens in sky it happens everywhere it's people who are part of the product but not part of the 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 love of the you know it's love of the game but not in the same way if that makes sense I'm not saying that makes us any less authentic but I think it changes the way that clubs like Everton have to operate um and it to some extent it takes away some of the romance of what Martinez can do and the style of football he wants to play and I think it sort of wants people to fit inside a certain box and when they don't fit inside that box then we go well then you're not fit Mm. and and I don't think that works and to some extent I have a lot of sympathy with him for that reason because I think the analysis lets him down time after time because people have got the box that he needs to fit within because if you don't fit in the Premier League box then very often you get relegated but
1: I appreciate what you're saying you know we're people outside of the game we can only judge on what we see of course I can I'm sure I wouldn't do any better job managing Everton if I suddenly took the hot seat but all we can judge is what we can see and the, the most clear example of that is the results and you look at Everton, you look at that squad. You know, you what look are at the results?
2: Haku, okay, uh, okay. then let me ask you this. What are the results? Mm. They lose, right? And I understand the fans are frustrated by that because they believe they should be in the Champions League. And, you know, to some extent, I can sympathise with that. Uh, well, not you know, it's not it's even be in the Champions League, but not. Champions well. League, Europa League, ju- just travelling anywhere. It's just good to get <laughs> out. Going somewhere. We'll Busy out. midweek. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And... Uh, you know, I, I can sympathize with that, but at the same time, the results are also you're seeing some fantastic goals at Goodison Park this season. You're seeing mm. some brilliant football at Goodison Park this season. You're having some experiences that a 1 0 will not deliver to you or will deliver, but over a much almost on a drip. You're getting it when the tap's fully turned on. Yeah, but do, do you, I, 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 don't, I don't think
1: they're mutually exclusive. If you look at, say, Spurs, we're playing fantastic football and getting the results that have now. Yeah, but he's not at a club that is structured in the same way as Spurs. Do you not think Everton should be the, the way the season's going, the way the Premier League's panning out this season? They should be almost up there with West Ham, say, Man United, only a couple of points off of Spurs.
2: But then I'm, but the, the point you're making comes from your model. So uh, and, I, and I see what you're saying I see that we exist in the Premier League era but the point that you're making comes from a okay then if you fit inside the box which Daniel Levy has for years and he's had that foresight and in the same way that Arsene Wenger has and a couple of other people in the Premier League have had then that's good, you fit there but I, there's not very much leeway is what I'm saying in football for people who are in, innovative thinkers on other, uh, don't uh, other strengths of football
1: I your trainer of thought because of Leicester <laughs> who are uh, now top of the Premier League.
3: That's someone who's arguably the antithesis of Martínez. He's a lot more pragmatic. That's When I look at Martínez, he reminds me a lot, and this will be quite a niche reference, of Caleb Porter, the coach of the Portland Timbers, in the sense that oh, Caleb Porter Caleb. arrived in Major League Soccer, soccer. with a very He's idealistic soccer. way of playing soccer. He wanted to play possession-based, on the floor, like he had at Akron University. I think he quickly realised you couldn't do that every single week and get success at the same time so what he's done over the the course of the time he's been with the Timbers is he's become more pragmatic he's built a side that can play a few different ways they can be a bit more direct if they need to he's found a balance in midfield where he's got someone who pulls the passes someone who's a lot more athletic and can get up the field and then someone in Diego Chara who can just sit and break stuff up I don't see that same balance and pragmatism with Martinez and he's had roughly I think the same amount of time as Caleb Porter has at the Timbers. And that would be my concern if I'm an Everton fan is we have a young, in air quotes, progressive manager. How progressive is he being with himself in terms of analysing what he's doing and trying to move the team forward? That's what, yeah, exactly. that's what I think. So the he point exists is, yeah. within his own bubble.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, we're talking about underperforming teams here. How about we talk about a team who are playing very well? Juventus, Christy. Oh, They've just beaten Roma on the weekend, uh, 11 wins in a row now. Uh, Paolo Dybala, of course uh, is the man of the moment what I have thought you made... that was
2: Daniele De Rossi
1: well we, 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 let's not get into that at the moment uh, They're still you know two points off the top of the table chasing Napoli in Syria but what have you made of Juventus this season because obviously when the season kicked off things weren't looking so good
3: I'm, I'm going to sound like a, a slight hypocrite here with this transition Ooh. I think where Juventus have benefited from is they've been true to themselves and stuck by what they believed in mm-hmm. In the sense that they've yeah, turned right. it around like a by slowly chipping away at things and believing in the, the, the style and the ideology that the club wanted to put forward and just being consistent, maintaining that and, and believing that things would turn around eventually, that things would pick up again Dybala. I, I look in, in Europe, I can't think of many clubs who've, who've done better in the transfer market consistently than the Juventus when you think about it. When they got Pogba for free, they got Pirlo for free. Yeah, Dybala was a big money signing. I think he's paid a good chunk of it back already. Could I appreciate the, the kind of um, humility he showed and saying that he didn't think he was worth kind of the fee that was, that was paid for him. I think he's worth that and a little bit more now. If you look at the context of the market and what other strikers are going for, he, he looks like a really sensational little player and I I've, I've really enjoy watching him.
1: Mm. Uh, of course, as well, he, he's replaced Tevez in a way. I think the, the headline on Tuto Sport from the weekend was Tevez who? You've also got likes of Sami Kadira who came in over the summer perhaps to protect, uh, replace Vidal. I mean, how would you assess their squad in terms of not just the league, but you know, we're going to be talking to Kit Holden later on about how Bayern Munich are taking on in the Champions League. Do you think they're, they're set up for success in both domestic and European
3: competition? I think that is a big ask. The, the benefit they had last year when they made that run was a bit like Bayern and they were running away with the, the domestic league. This year they've got a bit more of a challenge because Inter Milan, I think again, did some relatively smart business, at least compared to their cross-city rivals, AC Milan. So they've got more of a challenge domestically and they're going to need to manage that a lot more than I think they had to last season, which then means how do you split your time between that and the midweek games?
2: Well, if I can say one thing about Allegri, he's good. And Juventus, yeah.
3: That's that's what I would say about Allegri compared to, to Conte is that he's got a bit of a better grip on that. He understands that you don't have to run the car at 100 miles an hour every game. That you can let it cruise at 60 and, and still come out with the result you need. And, and his game management, I think, is a little bit better than than Conte's. That's mm. going to be tested, I think, this season. And, <laughs> and personally, if I was having to put 10 pounds down on it, I'd be very surprised if Juventus made it as far as they did last season. I think they'll go out a little bit earlier.
1: What about with regards to the league then? Do you see them winning the league? The, how many consecutive times would that be? Is that four now? Five? Four? Um, or, or do you see Napoli uh, sort of streaking ahead and, and keeping up the level of performance
3: that they are at the moment? I'd really like Napoli to do it. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to admire about that club. They're, they're, they feel a little bit like, to me at least... Like a, a ragtag band of, of players. There's not as maybe much refinement when I look at that club. Certainly the players are brilliant and, and have got immense pedigree, like of Higuain. I also quite enjoy the fact that Nathaniel Shalabar's in there. I think it would be great from an English perspective to be really selfish, to have an Englishman win a foreign league title like that and get that experience and get that feeling. I also think they played some of the best football in the, the first half of the season largely that was also down to to Higuain's form which will need to be maintained and that's my one big question with them was last season when they needed Higuain to do something for them and they needed him to be that clutch player to borrow an American sports term he wasn't he let them down he didn't get them into the Champions League because he I think he missed a penalty and, and a few other chances it's a lot of pressure to put on a man but I think he'll thrive off that at least I hope anyway it's it's just it's showing whether he's he's been able to evolve and grow himself and prove that Real Madrid will be naive to to let someone like him go that he can
2: be this this game changer. This is kind of the point, isn't it? Is that you know when it did come down to the game against Inter, um, you know we we were looking for him to come through there, uh, and he was subbed off, um, and you know Inter ended up winning that on two nil, mm. and that was only that was, I think that was.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: Well, that was, what, two weeks ago now? Yeah, a week ago. Yeah.
1: Let's finish up the old news section with a bit of transfer news, Kristen. Uh, Andros Townsend. Set to move to Newcastle. £12 million fee agreed with Spurs. Um, he's only made three substitute appearances in the Premier League this season mm-hmm. for Tottenham. Uh,
3: do you think that's a good move, both for the player and the club? I think it's definitely a, a good move for, for him. I think he needs to get away from Spurs. It's, it's not beneficial to his career at this point to stay there. <laughs> because he doesn't, he doesn't fit the, the frame. And that's not to say he's a bad player because I think he potentially could fit much better at Newcastle. What I mean by that is the way Pochettino wants to play, the idea of winning the ball high up the field, being quite quick with it, being quite intricate with it, that's never really struck me as Andres Townsend's game. For me, he's always been a very conventional, traditional, arguably simplistic winger. Someone that likes to drive at defenders, go past them very easily. Cut in. Yeah, be it cut in and shoot, swing a ball in, whichever. But it's it's very simple, and I don't think Pochettino's system, at least for his attackers and his wide mm. players, accommodates that kind of player. So it was never really going to be a good fit for him.
1: What about Newcastle then? Because we've struggled to pin down what Steve McLaren's actual system is. Do you mm. think he'll be a good fit?
3: I would like to think so, and I say that because if you look at Musa Sissoko and the role that he fills and what he is usually doing... It's a similar skill set, I would argue, to that of Andros Townsend. It's picking up the ball, it's going past someone very easily, it's using your athleticism rather than intricate skill, and it's catching teams theoretically on the counter-attack like they did against Liverpool with with Wijnaldum second. That's kind of their perfect moment for, for Newcastle tactically. I've got to believe that someone with his skill set could fit into that side and arguably give them a little bit more balance by playing on the left because they've tried a few different guys out there. They've tried Perez, who loves to cut inside and is really a striker that's better suited in a front three rather than a 4-2-3-1. They've put Wijnaldum out there, who just totally drifts out of the game because he's a central player if I've ever seen one. And even Tovan, who it looks I would imagine will head off to, to Marseille not long after this deal is completed. Again, not really quick enough for what they want him to do, and his crossing is, is a little bit hit and miss as well. Hmm. So I'm, I'm inclined to think, yeah, he's a much better fit in that sense. Whether it's £12 million worth of better fit, <laughs> only time will realistically tell.
1: Elsewhere, Lawrence, it does look like Alexandre Pato is going to oh. join Chelsea on loan for six months. Brilliant.
2: Good, good for him. I like Pato. I've missed him yeah. in Europe. Um, I'm glad he's not going to China like Jovino or Ramirez it'd be good to see what he does it'd be good to see what he does in the, uh, in the team um, And actually when got they, high
1: hopes for him do you think he can cut it in the, in the Premier League
2: he's not the same player who left the Premier League that's for sure uh, left, left Europe he never left right. the Premier League right. uh, in my mind he should have been in the Premier League uh, from the very beginning playing for a, a club like Liverpool uh, but he you know, he had to leave because of what happened outside the Premier League, and I think as he comes back, he's not going to be the same pacey player. He's still got some skills. I think he's probably mm-hmm. going to be used as a uh, an impact squad player. Um, what's going to be interesting is to see whether Chelsea or he sort of uses this as a shop window mm. to, you know, go even further. I, I, I think it would be so unusual if Chelsea were to uh, keep him in the end, mm. but ten million yeah, maybe apparently maybe if they want to sign him. Cute. Maybe looking to be I don't think they'll get 10 million in the end Yeah, I think that, that's what they're finding is that they couldn't sell him and so they're having to love him right. because the whole point is you know whether they want to get the money for him or whatever um, they'll probably get a loan fee which will be you know relatively good but at the same time mm-hmm. they're, they'll also get his wages off their books which is what they want. Obviously his arrival Chris
1: means that maybe like Remy Radamel Falcao or both could be leaving. Mm. Suggestions
3: that Remy could be another signing for Steve McLaren Yeah, well, he's, he's obviously been there before and did well. He had, a, a, I think, it was actually a better than one in two record. I want to say he got something like fourteen and twenty six. No way. So if he's trying to make a late push for that France squad, familiarity is not a bad idea in terms of getting some brief form till the end of the season. Oh, great. Equally, the fact that Palace have just picked up Adebayo I don't know if they're going to want to bring someone else in as well who's like to be on big wages. It makes a lot of sense for both parties, um, as does Falcao departing. In terms of of Pato's success, I think it goes one of two ways. It's either like Ross and Rachel and Friends, where it should have happened (laughs) the seven years ago that it was supposed to, or it's like hooking up with someone that you went to high school with. It's not a good idea because you've both changed (laughs) drastically since that moment. Um, I would like to think he'll do well. I I think he's got enough speed to to thrive in this league. There's enough Mm -hmm. openness and enough attacking opportunity for someone like him. And I'm just looking forward to watching him. I appreciate that you know we
0: His don't character. always get to
3: do that. Yeah, he, he seems a nice guy. That's, interesting. Yeah, it could certainly go. Movie.
1: It could certainly go either way. Another move which could certainly go either way, Chris, is uh, Emmanuel added by yours. Crystal Palace. Uh, Palace have signed him. Uh, reported seventy-seven grand a week wages. Obviously on a free transfer. Um, a player who's renowned for being able to perform in short spells. Palace need goals. It could be a bit of a masterstroke. If ever
2: know? there was an ego, if ever there was an ego that could ignite the Manuela <laughs> by yours, it's parts. It's party. <laughs> uh, oh. and, and not, have, you, have you heard the uh, story that Harry Redknapp told when he was on soccer? I think it was Soccer Saturday, or you know, one of those shows. Please, uh, about and he says uh, they used to give uh, for the worst player of the week. He used to vote for the worst player of the week, and they'd have to give a thousand pounds to charity. And he did. No, it, it, it was either quid. a thousand. Was it, it was fifty quid? quid. Okay, so it wasn't even that, right? right? Yeah. And he, got, he walks into training, he's not given the 50 quid, clearly. And one of the other players turns to him and says, Emmanuel, you've not given the money. Come on, you're on 210,000 a week. Uh, I can't believe you're not given the money. He goes, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm on 250,000 a week. And they're like, mm. okay, that's not the point. <laughs> we said the song went up to him and went, Come on,
3: now. You know you're on two hundred and ten thousand pound a week. You can afford fifty quid for the children's hospital that they've done it. And he stopped him and went, "No, sir. I'm on two hundred and twenty-five thousand a week."
2: And you're like, "Mate, <laughs> you're on. not helping yourself here." Well, uh, Chris, also, at the same time this changes I everything. Believe...
3: everything? Sorry, <laughs> I mate.
2: Believe how much he, is, he was on.
1: Oh yeah, his wages at Spurs are being subsidised by a city, weren't they? So it was something insane. It, uh, that, 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 that he you? That's to... earning. Yeah, that um, is crazy. He's Chris, not going to regardless of his, you know, his controversial reputation and what he does off the pitch, on the pitch he could have the desired impact.
3: He could. He's certainly a talented player. He has brought goals with him realistically wherever he's been, even that period where he was ostracised by Tottenham. When he came back into the side, he did well. You can't argue with that. The difficulty is how long-term is he? I think Palace have done well to hedge their bets by giving him six months. I think that works well with both mm. parties. But even then, I wouldn't be surprised if Adebayo manages to find a way to pee everybody off in those six <laughs> months. And, and equally, as you touched on there, he's being managed by Alan Pardew, and mm. I found it personally quite laughable that he said he handled Haddon Ben Arfa. And I even wrote something <laughs> for, for Yahoo Sport this week Indeed, to that sentiment, saying that if he thinks he handled Haddon Ben Arfa, he's got a massive case of revisionist history because, if anything... He had him good for a few months, mm. still didn't grasp how he was supposed to use him properly, and then forced him out of the club for a free transfer. It was, again, it was a case of a man who had no idea what he was actually dealing with and, and thought that he could treat him like any other player that he, Do, he dealt
1: with. Is that a worrying sort of precedent then, that perhaps uh, <clears throat> party doesn't know how to manage these sort of mercurial talents, these difficult
3: personalities? That's, that's in fairness that's always been Pardy's issue I don't think he's a terrible manager I think at Newcastle he became a bad manager partly because he had no flexibility in him and Newcastle needed that same flexibility that Say Everton need because they're all about selling stars to fund the next generation and at that kind of club you need someone who is flexible at the helm and whether it was his tactics in terms of being able to evolve and shift the focus to a different part of the team or dealing with characters that again, were more talented than should have been at Newcastle, but had issues, he just couldn't do it. It was the same with other flair players like Remy Cabela. Couldn't integrate him properly. Had him sitting on the bench when he cost me like 10, 12 million. He's just not very good with those players that need a little bit more sort of care and attention and, and a little bit more integration into a side.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of the news section. After this, we're going to be back with this week's Talking Point. Right, so it is time for this week's talking point. Our guest this week is journalist Kit Holden, who's here to talk to us about Pep Guardiola. Kit, welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you here. Um Obviously, I got in touch with you because you you wrote a little article about Pep Guardiola last week uh, for the Mail Online. Um, As you sort of outlined there, Pep has officially entered the final six months of his contract at Bayern Munich. And it seems that you've certainly be coming to the Premier League after three years in Bavaria. Um, You were sort of suggesting that if he doesn't win the Champions League this season, those three years will be seen as a disappointment.
4: Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of will by everybody, but um, I'm not sure if he'll see them as a disappointment. That's the interesting thing. Um, I mean, it's kind of understood that he arrived at the club after they just won the, the treble in 2013 and he arrived in order to to carry on that success, which is obviously huge expectations, which which no coach could have done uh, completely. But I mean, I think, yeah, after three years, there'd be a lot of people who'd be quite disappointed if he hadn't won the Champions League. But I think from his point of view, he's very happy with the work he's done and he, he feels that you know, it was all about a process and about bringing his style to a new country and, and about, um, yeah, getting getting the players to, to develop themselves in different ways and, and, to be honest, Bayern are a completely different team now. They're a far better team now and if you look at pure playing style. Um, so, I mean, he came up, I think I put it in the piece, that he came up with this sort of rather glib uh, comment um, a few weeks ago where he said, you know, titles and trophies are just numbers, um, which I think can be taken with a pinch of salt, but it does kind of show that he I think he feels that uh, for all the, the, the pressure to win the Champions League, he's, he feels job done. Do you, do you think,
1: what, what do you think the perception of him is at Bayern Munich in terms of, is it, it, it seems over here that he's seen par for the course to win those league titles the way he's done. Um, that's the, the bare minimum almost.
4: Um, kind of. I mean, I think that's sometimes slightly overstated. I mean, they, they Bayern are always expected to be the favourites for the title. Um, and they're generally expected to win it Uh, but to be fair on on Guardiola the last two seasons they've won it I think by by 9 and and about 20 points um, respectively Uh, they don't normally win it by that much again your punk is in the season before Pep arrived he also won uh, with with over 20 point uh, gap or around a 20 point gap which was an astonishing achievement and was was you know uh, celebrated high and wide and then Pep comes in and the, the expectations are to match that like I say and and so even when he he wins the title in March for uh, earlier than than anyone has ever done it before it's kind of seen everyone goes oh well that's part of the course well not really. I mean, he has he has won the Bundesliga, which does have some very good teams in it, like Dortmund, like uh, Schalke, like Wolfsburg, in the last couple of years, um, and he's won it very, very convincingly in both years. And I think, um, but the trouble is that, yes, in terms of the trophy he has in his hands at the end of the end of the season, that's that doesn't make him any different to pretty much uh, the vast majority of other Bayern coaches over mm. the last 30 years. They've, they've, almost all of them have won it. The uh, mm-hmm. same with the German Cup and the thing that will distinguish uh, him is this, the Champions League title.
2: So, so how do you think he would describe what he's done at Bayern? Like, wh- What do you think he would identify as the main things he's achieved?
4: um well certainly playing style uh, but, but,
2: but what what specifically because i mean it's it, you know it, it, you know we're saying it's not par for the course they are also the most powerful political team in germany as well so mm-hmm. they do get a lot of things not done for them but you know they tend to work with the right people they can bring anyone in they want to mm-hmm. what exactly is it what what's the minutiae of is uh th- that sort of style and what has changed about bayern in that time that's made them maybe even more dominant
4: so if you look at how they were under Heinz I mean it was obviously a very very strong team, and it, it, it won the treble and, and uh, uh, beat some very good teams along the way, and it, it already had uh, it was already full of, of world class players. But if you look at some of those world class players who are still there, uh, Philip Blanc, for example, has developed, having been a right back for for most of his career, has now developed into one of the most versatile uh, defensive players in in the world, if not the most. I mean he plays got play a play him as a as a right back, as a kind of central defensive midfielder, as a, as a right defensive midfielder with, the, with, the, uh, with two defensive midfielders, he can play him as a winger, he can play him as almost anything. Uh, and I think he's brought out, and Lahm I think always had that potential, but was often, and because he is a very professional and, and sort of dutiful player and, and man, he, he always just did his job at, at right back uh, very, very well and didn't complain. And then suddenly he was given this new lease of freedom under Guardiola. Um, there are others, I mean, Müller, for example, I think, uh, is a player who his personality is, is often, he's often clashed with Guardiola on a, on a low level um, if he's not been, been in the starting 11 all the time or whatever because of the rotation. But in terms of, uh, again, his playing style, which is indescribable at times and, and, and very much in the kind of Guardiola mold of of not having specific positions, particularly in attack, and that flexibility and that, that creating space from nothing and uh, all those things, I think that's brought the best out in Miller. Um, so looking, at, yeah, if you look at the individual players and, and the way they were playing before and the roles they, were, they had, the roles they have now are certainly far more diverse, far less easy to define. Uh, which makes Bayern much more difficult to, to kind of second-guess, if you like, for, for which is why you now see a lot more teams, even in the Bundesliga, just going for straight up parking the bus when they play Bayern um, <laughs> before they do anything else, which they didn't used to uh, quite as much um, mm. because you can't predict them now. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, at their very best, uh, they are incredible to watch. I mean, I think uh, you, everything is judged by, by trophies, and that's right, and I think, you know, um, obviously the Barcelona and, and Real Madrid teams of the last two years have, have done better in Europe than Bayern have, but they're very, very best at those best moments. There hasn't been a team that's been so brilliant to watch as right. Bayern since, since Guardiola left, left What's Barca.
1: What's the, the, the current context then? You're, we're, we're looking at that Champions League triumph that obviously Pep is aiming for and in many ways he, he almost needs to win, as you're saying. Um, how are they set up now for that success? Because there's been, there's been a number of injuries in recent weeks as well, going into the fixture which is coming up uh, in a few weeks time
4: yeah and i think that they've got a very very deep squad in general so i mean for example when when a player like robin or, or Ribery gets injured they've now got the likes of douglas costa and kingsley kamar who can come in and, and, and play almost exactly the same uh role in that team and, and and they've got that backup now and obviously in attacking midfield they've got a, a wealth of players um the key one i think that could harm them over the next few months is Boateng, who he was injured at the weekend, and, and he's looking at a very long spell on the sidelines. And he he was really having an absolutely fantastic season. Um, partly, I mean, one of the interesting things Guardiola has started to do with Bayern is when teams are parking the buses, he's, he's got them playing the long balls, um, very very sort of pinpointed long ball uh, football, which is. Um, Completely against what everyone thinks he's, is, is his style, but but has worked brilliantly. Worked against Dortmund when when they couldn't break them down, and suddenly they they burst into life with these long balls from Boateng uh, and, and beat them five one. Um, and Boateng too has is, 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 he's mastered his temperament. He always used to, to to get a lot more red cards in the past, and he's now a much more mature player. He's a much better leader, um, and he's he, he's really crucial for, for for Bayern, not just in defence but but also in attack. And I think that could really harm them. Um, that, that he's out for such a long period. Mm. Um, I mean, the, they, they've always had a lot of injuries. Um, there's a lot of sort of stuff in the Munich tabloids about if, is it Pep's fault that they always get so many injuries? Possibly. They have a very deep squad. Um, they, they they should be all right against until they can't against the likes of, of Barcelona and Real and, and, and the really top teams. And then then the, the like if, if someone like Bertang is is, is not there, then mm. um, they could struggle.
1: Uh, Before they even meet the likes of Barcelona and Real, they've of course got to get past Juventus, uh, the first leg of which is away from home on the 23rd of February. Are you tipping them uh, to navigate that one successfully?
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's a banana skin, definitely, because uh, it's a it's not a very kind draw, but I think, you know, it's Bayern. Um, also, they bought two of Juventus' best players in the summer, so um, they kind of <laughs> were a step ahead of the game there in some way. And, yeah, I think certainly they uh, they will be backing themselves to, to win that game, yeah. and to win those two games. And... Um, yeah, but but it but it is difficult and you know, they've shown they've had a few slip ups against Gladbach, they were they were taken apart and against Arsenal as well by very, very good uh, good counterattacking teams that, that really exploited their weaknesses fantastically. So they're not they're not a you know, a perfectly running machine at the moment, but I think certainly they're good enough to, to get past that.
1: And do you think Pep Guardiola can win it this year then? And if so, what is different this year to previous years? Barcelona are still the favourites, of course, but do you see Bayern maybe pipping them to it?
4: Yeah, I think they can. I think I think they, it all depends really on on whether or not Guardiola uh, manages to find a solution to a problem which he's had over the last two years, which is that once they have the title in the bag in in late March or early April, um, in both years they've they've then dropped off. Uh, Guardiola has purposely rested his his key players, but all the focus is on on the Champions League games, and it's and it's created a kind of huge psychological pressure and uh, a certain rustiness as well which has has seen them completely capitulate against Real in in 14 and against Barca in 15 in the Champions League and he needs to if Bayern which they look like they might do if they win the title again just as early this year then he needs to find a way of keeping them in the right frame of mind for when the semi-finals come along if they do get that far and and they start playing the big teams Um, because it's been the one thing that he just he's got wrong, completely wrong uh, in both seasons and he said it himself and uh, mm. if they're going to win it they're going to have to do that because they have the quality to beat Barcelona and Real but they also have the capacity to lose to them obviously and it, uh, it's very much I think in those Champions League semi-finals about form on the day and, and mentality on the day mm. and that's what Bayern have, have, have lacked in the last two years. Looking
1: beyond this season then, uh, Guardiola said himself that he's looking to come to the Premier League, Manchester City, obviously the team he's expected to join. This summer, um, what do you make of that marriage, if you will? It, does that fit for you?
4: Yeah, I think I think it does. Um, partly because of Piero Soriano who who um, were and particularly was the was the guy at Barcelona who who, who got him the, the the head coach job um, and really plugged for him and the and the Barca board when they were uh, I and mean, around as to whether give to give such a uh, an inexperienced man the the top job. Um, so he's got a very much a kind of a debt to pay, I think, to to those two, Bergessone and Soriano at City, um, and he also have a very good working relationship with them. you know, they'll they'll know exactly how he works and exactly what he wants. City also have uh, a system in place where they will offer him everything. I mean, one thing he's had at Bayern is pretty much everything. But there's been certain things which the club have refused to 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 back down on. There's been certain things where even if they have backed down. The fans have been very annoyed with him for, for um, resting certain players or having fights with the club doctor or things like that 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 Bayern fans don't take kindly to. And, and I think Guardiola expected perhaps a little more um, of a free reign at Bayern. I think he would get more of that at City. Um, and, yeah, he's going to have a high quality of, of players to, to use if he, if he does go to City. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see whether he goes this summer or if he has another gap here, because he's sort of been mumbling a bit as well about um, that he might not uh, go to England next year and blah, blah, blah. And I think if, if if the right option doesn't come up immediately and he doesn't have exactly the offer he wants, then he'll take a gap here and he'll uh, come back in a year's <laughs> time and reassess his options.
1: So if he does, we're assuming, I, I'm assuming that he is going to come this summer, but of course, like you say, it's not uh, confirmed yet. You've talked about City there, how he might adapt to that club. What do you think the challenge is? are that he's going to face coming to the Premier League compared to, say, the Bundesliga or La Liga?
4: I think, in to a certain extent, the Bundesliga was a, a, a more open to his kind of whole project, which is about basically bringing his philosophy and his entire thoughts and, and, and ideas about the way the game is played and, and putting them on, into a new football culture. And I think because... A, because the Bundesliga doesn't kind of uh, have this kind of merry-round go of foreign managers and star managers as much as the Premier League does, but also because it is generally a more tactical uh, league. It's more concerned with with, with shapes and, and with uh, formations and, and positions than, than the Premier League is. The Premier League, it is a bit of a cliche, but it's true when you watch it, it is more chaotic, it's more pacey, it's more crazy and fast and physical. Um, and I think there will be certain teams uh, who will come up against where he'll be surprised um, just how little respect they pay his system. Um, and he's had a slight... If he's had one boon from the Bundesliga, it's been the fact that a lot of teams and a lot of managers have, have sort of almost subtly bowed down before him and his system mm-hmm. and, and tried to play around it. And I think he'll he'll get less of that in the Premier League. Um, but I think he's ready for that. I think that's probably why yeah. he wants to, to, to do it, because he, he's, he's really relishing that challenge. But um, And I think he's good enough to take it on. But, I mean...
1: It's interesting that so he came out a few days ago and said, you know, he, he wants new challenges, of course, which you're sort of talking about there in terms of Premier League. He's also said he wants new enemies. You know, you need new enemies mm. to get better, is what he said. There is a very real possibility now that he could come up against Jose Mourinho next mm. season at Manchester United. The thing, the, the way things are going for Louis and how, um, what's your assessment of that sort of rivalry between them? Because obviously it was very uh, acrimonious in the Liga. Is that something mm. you think maybe he'd relish or maybe he'd succeed at?
4: I'm I'm not sure about him. I don't know it's obvious that Mourinho adores that rivalry, uh, and it's very much one that he thrives off, and it feeds Mourinho's whole conception of himself as this um, great sort of antichrist to uh, sort of the the ultimate um, non non aesthetic um, party destroyer. But yeah. the but I, I, I'm not sure about Guardiola whether he he really likes it in that because he doesn't although he says he needs new enemies i think he he sees that much more on a kind of academic level where he wants he wants a new tactical challenge he wants something else that he has to break down in his in his eternal chess game Mm. um and he doesn't like the whole sort of mind games and the the press conferences and the, the the little verbal jabs and everything he's he's not very good at it either um he either stays very very coy or he stays very very silent for a long time and then gets incredibly annoyed um and so i, I yeah I, I don't think he'd particularly be relishing it but i think he'd be relishing certainly a, another opportunity to to play Mourinho at chess um yeah. on the football pitch but um off the football pitch less so
1: i think the the other alternative of course although he is expected to join manchester city that's where the signs are pointing uh, the rumors that he could go to manchester united are refusing to die, there was reports last week that United executives had some sort of secret meeting. I mean, can can you see that happening? And if so, do you think that would be a benefit, maybe the City?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think he's sort of he's sort of wandering around the the party at the moment with a, in a very low cut um, top and sort of flirting <laughs> with everybody, isn't he? He's sort of, yeah, of it, it, It's <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and so I can imagine they're having all these crisis meetings, all these board members who are falling over themselves to, um, to gain his, his, his favour. But, the mm. uh, yeah, I think he'd go to United if, if uh, the, the offer was right for him because uh, I think he, he's, to a certain extent, a football romantic. He likes the, the grand old clubs um, and, and he, would, he would like the kind of romanticism of United, but they'd have to give him, a, a, in terms of the, the, his role in the club's politics and in terms mm. of the uh, money he'd get and in terms of the squad he'd receive, um, and he did air it. I think they'd have to give him quite a lot more than they perhaps could give him this summer. They could give him a, a good enough deal, but I think he'd probably um, go for City if it were this summer. But I thought I thought that comment about him when he said that he that he might not go this summer and, and that's not set in stone. I thought that was interesting because mm. I think if he is to go somewhere like United, then he'd probably take a year and wait for them to to build the squad and work behind the scenes with those with the board members to right. say, look, this is what I want. To, to come into and you've got to make this for me over the next year and then I'll mm. then I'll join. Do you think he's done
3: enough with youth at buying that? Because I look at that squad and I look how consistently they buy the likes of Douglas Costa, and it mm-hmm. it feels as if they could have done more with you. You've got Horshberg at, at Schalke, mm-hmm. who arguably I think could be contributing to the first team, and, and I'm curious if you feel he's, he's done as much as he possibly could have with the infrastructure of that youth academy.
4: Yeah, it's, it's another one of the huge criticisms against him is that he that he hasn't uh, done enough at all, um, and there have been certainly Hoyberg is one of them, one of those players where he certainly at the start he came in and he said, oh, brilliant, you know, I've got these young players, and Hoyberg was very much the one that he saw as that he was going to mould in his own image and was going to become the, the the sort of the next Guardiola, the Guardiola of his generation as a player, um, and then he went on into Augsburg, which is you know they, they've done that all through the the last 20 years by and they've learned loaned out their best players on their young players on short-term leases. David Alaba was at Hoffenheim for example, Lahm was at Stuttgart um, and then he, everyone expected Hoiberg to come back from Augsburg and then be in the first team like you say but because they had such a depth in, in their squad he, he didn't and then so it's it's a way to Schalke and I think Hoiberg will eventually come back but there are others I mean Gaudino is left and Sinan Kurt, and uh, Mitchell Weiser and these are players who when they did get a chance with Guardiola, they did look like they were suddenly they were getting something out of him, and he, and he was working really well with them. But I think the, the squad is too big in, in many ways, and, and he has kind of stifled that um, development. There's also the thing though that actually, with the whole focus on Guardiola, the, the quality of, of player that is coming out of the binary system has actually, I think, gone down in the last sort of five or six years since that generation of, of, of Schweinsteiger and Müller and, and Lahm and players like that. If you look at the players, Emery Chan was was the great, um, you know, supposed to be the great uh, new Bayern leader who would come out and be Bayern captain and, and the next Feinsteiger or the next alarm. And he's he's a good player, but he's not quite what what everybody expected him to be five years ago. Um, and they've had a lot of politics stacking various and having changes of manager in that in that, in that youth setup and and things. And it's it's not quite as tight as it was maybe five ten years ago. And I think Guardiola's presence hasn't helped that.
3: I know you touched on Kurt there as well. That- that one really struck me as quite bizarre because obviously they got him from from Gladbach, mm. and he wasn't there long. Was there was there given any kind of explanation closer to the ground in, in Munich in Germany as to why it just didn't pan out? Because he seemed a decent talent to me. Now he's at Hertha.
4: Yeah, I mean, but um, uh, Mitchell did the same. I mean, you know, exactly the same story: that a very young kid with a lot of talent, and buying go, okay, we'll have him. And he was at Cologne, and uh, you know, one or two first team appearances, and then and then a few years later off you go and. There have been many in the past in the, in the same vein, and the thing is, sometimes they pay off, sometimes they, they arrive at first-team football, they, you know, they come in, they, they play in the E system for a couple of years, and then they arrive, they, they mature into a first-team player just at the right time when the, when the club has got the right injury or the right, you know, um, is looking for exactly that kind of player on the transfer market. Alibar did that, for example. Alibar came in when there were suddenly, there were no left-backs, and Bayern couldn't find a left-back for, for love nor money. Um, and then Hinkis made said, "Right, Alaba, you're going to be a left back," and he became um, one of the best left backs in the world within a year. Um, but you know, if if they'd had a really, really good quality left back at that time, we could be looking at a very, very different David Alaba who was playing yeah for Hatter or something. Um, and mm-hmm. it, I think sometimes there is that just that element of, of luck to it, but also yeah, game time and and if there isn't space, even to kind of fill in. I mean. What what those kind of players have played at those few games at the end of the season where they they've already won the title and they're kind of you know all everyone's concentrating on the Champions League and that doesn't really make it the best atmosphere in which to integrate or to, to gain proper first team football or or anything like that.
3: I guess for every Roda there's a Kirchhoff, then.
4: Yeah, <laughs> well I mean yeah, <laughs> Kirchhoff is like, slightly different because he he established himself as a sort of decent player and he was one of those that they kind of bought because he'd be a good squad player and then when he fulfilled his use of the squad player, they, they sold him on. But um yeah. Uh yeah, the the sad tough stories are the ones like the courts and the and the visors who um who go in. But they do they do. I mean there's a funny story about Mitchell Visor where when he joined how to um, at the start of the season, he did a kind of interview with with the club's Hatters official TV, and uh, the guy said, um, "Mitchell, what's your what's your aim for the season?" And Mitchell Weiser automatically said, "Well, of course, we'll be playing for the title." And then they went cut. <laughs> nobody at Hatter wanted him to say that because uh, obviously they won't. And uh, but it, but the, the Bayern mentality had obviously been instilled into him. So uh, so. Uh, forcefully over the last three years so I mean yeah hopefully you hope that players like that can take what they do get at Bayern and uh, and exploit it elsewhere and you know we'll see.
1: That's what we've got time for Kit. Absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for coming on. I think we're going to have to have you on again because that was uh, fantastic. You're welcome. <laughs>